from Kurtco Media. Travel It Matters MasterChef series is brought to you by Accor, a world-leading hospitality group. And brought to you by Stone Street Estate Vineyards in Sonoma County, California. Coming up on the show. I remember landing in Japan as a teenager. It's like it smells different at the market, right? It's that incredible value proposition of seafood, right? It would remind me of being in Sweden, but it was just very different. The fishes were completely different. Tuna was different than cod, for example. But I was in awe. I was hooked. I was like, this is going to be a major part of my life. I don't know how, but it will be. That's celebrity chef Marcus Samuelson. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Season 3 of Travel That Matters. I am so excited to be back, especially because we have a very, very cool slate of special episodes where we are going to talk about two of my favorite things, which are travel and food, probably two of your favorite things as well. We are calling this the Travel That Matters MasterChef miniseries, and we are going to be sitting down and talking travel and food with some of the top chefs and culinary leaders around the world. First, a quick background here. For those of you who are new to Travel That Matters, I'm Bruce Wallen. I'm a longtime travel journalist, former editorial director at Rob Report, and, and a writer for places like Departures and National Geographic. And on this show, we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences with some of the fascinating people that I've had the fortune of meeting along the way in my work and travels. One of those people is someone who I would say is maybe the most global the most international, I don't know, the, the most interesting chef of all, and that is Marcus Samuelson. Marcus is the man behind Red Rooster and many other renowned restaurants. He's a host on Chopped, another TV series, and he's just an all-around culinary master and super cool guy. I interviewed Marcus at the Rosewood Bahamar in the Bahamas, where we were both attending the first ever Bahamas Culinary and Arts Festival. Actually, he was hosting the festival. I was attending it, but he was such a fun interview and and just like an inspiring interview for anyone who loves food and travel. Now, why do I say that Marcus is the most global chef? Well, as many of you probably know, he was he was born in Ethiopia. He grew up in Sweden. He now lives in New York, and and this upbringing and and you know and his creativity have kind of resulted in this very multicultural style of cooking that draws from you know all these places and many many more. Several of which. We're going to hear about today. Marcus really has been everywhere. He can he, he can jump back and forth between Africa, Asia, Europe, North America, South America, and he really knows all of these places that he, that he's talking about. Honestly, like he was talking about my hometown of Los Angeles, and I realized he knew more about the food scene here than I do. Of course, it helps when you you know build your knowledge and your resume doing things like making TV shows and and eating in random hole in the wall restaurants with people like Anthony. Bourdain. He tells us a little bit about some experiences with Mr. Bourdain. He has a lot of great stories and yes, a who's who of uh, friends from the culinary world and, and just a great personality that comes out in his restaurants, on his TV shows, and in this interview with me on Travel That Matters. In addition to Marcus, our new MasterChef miniseries will have episodes with Daniel Belude, Amanda Freitag, Gregory Gorday, and several other culinary talents. 
Be sure to click that follow button so you don't miss a single episode. But for now, let's get the series started off with the fun and fabulous Marcus Samuelson. Chef Marcus Samuelson, welcome to Travel That Matters. Very excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Happy that you're here in the Bahamas. It's great. It is a fantastic place for a, a podcast interview, that's for sure. It's my first time in the Bahamas, oh, nice. actually. Nice, nice. So I'm, I've only been here for 18 hours, but so far I'm very, very excited and very impressed with everything. I'm going to start this interview off with baseball, which probably isn't the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Marcus Samuelson. Look, I'm a big baseball fan, and I know that you have a, a street bird restaurant mm-hmm. at Yankee Stadium and a street bird truck here at, at Baja Mar in the Bahamas. So first of all, I've never tried street bird. I'm sure I'm, I'm sounding ignorant to our, our New York listeners, but tell us about the concept and how it works at, at Yankee Stadium and on the beach in, sure. in the Bahamas. I mean, street bird is all about fun and, and being accessible where families are, right? Like, so for me, Yankee Stadium is such a big part of New York City, yeah. but it's also the home of NYCFC, the soccer club, and obviously tons of concerts. So, you know, for us, it's a great place to meet our customer. You know, obviously with Red Rooster success, we wanted to do something that was more takeout and casual. And just, we, we had Street Bird is this great chicken, all around fried chicken sandwich and chicken and waffles and so on, and celebrating the bird. So what's your, you know, when you go to a game, with it, I know you're a big soccer, football fan as well. It's changed so much over the years. Yeah. I remember, you know, going to Dodger Stadium as a kid and it was hot dogs and, and peanuts and beer. And that, that was about it. I'll admit, even with all the great options at Dodger Stadium now, I'm still pretty much going back to the hot dogs and peanuts and beer. Sure. But what do you do when you go to Yankee Stadium or a game somewhere? Are you are you going for the kind of cool gourmet stuff or? Well, I mean, for uh, for me, it's very different, right? First of all, anytime you go to a ballpark or a stadium, the evolution of stadiums is very similar to the evolution of airports, right? You can really find great options now anywhere, and that's always enough as a chef. Then I also check out. Is any of my friends or colleagues did have a concept here, right? And my son's like, can we just go and get something to eat? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. But I'm like, oh, that works. The barbecue here is better than that, you know? But it's been great just to go to the games and then have a little street bird and just, you know, sometimes we'll bring one of Zion's friends. And, you know, going to the stadium should be an up, a great experience. The street bird is there for that and all the other great options they have at Yankee Stadium. Think about baseball, soccer, stadium. Very often return customers. These are not just people coming once or twice season tickets and so on. So you have to mix it up for, for your guests. So just like American food in general, right? Options, things have evolved trem- tremendously. And places, you're from LA, I mean, places like Grand Central Market has been a massive importance as a trendsetter in terms of, I mean, Grand Central Market for me, is beyond a food hall, right? It's almost the wrong word, right? But it is end of the day. Yeah. And you go there and you can eat anything from anywhere in the world. And that type of energy translates into ballpark or beaches. I, lo- I love the Grand Central example because to me, it's really a throwback to kind of the old marketplaces that you see in Mexico or other countries. But in, in the US, it's kind of a novelty, right? And mm-hmm. it's a fantastic place to go. And just, you know, everybody can go eat wherever they want to eat and y'all gather at a table and, and it's just such great food all over and, the place. And it's truly a marketplace too. Sometimes... I go there for the food, of course, but also I go there just to pick up some spices. Grand Central Markets, if you want to pick up like really, really good spices or sauces ready-made, these are family-made food. That is, this is not fast food or junk yep. food in any way. Some of those molas that you can buy there are amazing, for example. So I go there actually for very often for 
vinegars and sauces and stuff like that. It's incredible. If you're at a Yankee game or a, you know, a marketplace like that and you line up somewhere, does the line start forming pretty quickly behind you? Because I, I imagine if I saw Marcus Samuelson yeah. you know, lining up at a, whatever food place it was, I'd probably say, you know what, that's probably a good place to eat. I could tell you this, wherever there's great food, there's great people and there's curious people. Yep. We talked about all these different, you know, at the Grand Central Marketplace or even at Yankee Stadium now and all these different types of food and flavors. You are known as someone who, who draws from many different backgrounds and cultures and, and regions in your cuisine and you have a lot of different styles. Tell us a little bit about that style. And then also, what about here? The mm -hmm. Bahamas, mm -hmm. like how has that influenced your, your cooking? You know, I was born in the Horn of Africa in Ethiopia, grew up in Sweden, traveled and worked in Japan and Switzerland and France live in Harlem, specifically in New York City, right? So right there, I really feel connected to herring, berbere, rusty, buff bourguignon. You know, you, what, you know, there's so many different styles of cooking that I've been lucky enough. And, and not just like, I lived in those places, right? When you work, the beauty of working in a place is that you really see back of the house, you really eat staff meal with the team, like the crew, and you hang out. It's different than being a tourist, you know? Yeah. I draw from all of those places. I remember landing in Japan as a teenager. It's like, it smells different at the market, right? It's that incredible value proposition of seafood, right? It would remind me of being in Sweden, but it was just very different. The fishes were completely different. Tuna was different than cod, for example, right? Yeah. But I was in awe. I was hooked. I was like, this is going to be a major part of my life. I don't know how, but it will be. And it's been. Traveling to places like Singapore, where you see Indian, Chinese, Portuguese culture, Arab culture, all in one. I'm like... You know, those hawker stands moments where I probably have some of the best meals in my life. Again, and not in what we would consider traditional restaurants, which I know you're very familiar with, obviously travel a lot in Mexico. So, you know, fondas might be the places where you eat the best food in Mexico, right? Yep. Or street food. So being open to that it does not always have to be a traditional restaurant. Road food, street food, fondas can be places that you can really go deeper on the culture. As a black person, as an African we know that our food has value. We know that our food is good, although it not, doesn't always show up on platforms in magazines. That's about to change right now. It's changing at the moment, becoming more diverse. So I think I've always been drawn to that other because grew up in Europe, knowing the food and the techniques I learned are fantastic. But so are these other places I've been to. And I was always perplexed by this in my early 20s. How come we don't read about this? How come we can't discover this more? And, and I'm so happy what's happening with food right now over the last 10 years is that Food writers are more diverse. They're drawn from different places. They're traveling further away. They're talking about regional cuisine. And it more mirrors, starts to mirror how the world looks like. And that's a good thing. You know, Ethiopian cuisine has gotten a lot more attention mm -hmm. in recent years, partly because of you. But what are, what are some of the other parts of Africa that where you find the cuisine yeah. interesting, up and coming? And, and how do they relate? I mean, Africa is a massive, massive mm -hmm. place. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think of Africa as, as one place. Clearly, it's not. But what are some of the other parts of the continent that, that you find interesting and like, and how do these, these different cuisines yeah. all work together? I mean, Africa, you got to look at it almost from part of it is tribal, part of it is tr spiritual. So in Africa, a large part of Africa, you eat based on a spiritual compass, right? Whether you're Muslim or Christian or Jewish, and that's part of other places in the world as well, but you really follow it in Africa. Right. So that kind of sets a tonality how often do you fast? For example, in Ethiopia, you f if you follow the Orthodox, you fast 220 days a year. doesn't mean you don't eat, but it means pulling on butter, maybe not meat, 
Mm -hmm. It also becomes then, when you do eat meat, it becomes a bigger occasion, right? So there's actually something for us in the West to learn about that, to, yep. to maybe hold back some days, but then when we want to celebrate it, we eat very unique, right? We can have sushi on a Monday, pizza on a Tuesday, steak on a Thursday, and then go back to, you know, Mexican on a Friday or something like that. Probably only America eats that way, you know, more other, more other countries are a little bit more traditional. So that's very, very unique way of eating, you know what I mean? And obviously convenience food has something that we eat especially lunchtime. That doesn't exist in Africa in the same way, right? So when I talk about food places, Addis is incredible. And it has obviously the Ethiopian food is the core. Yeah. You go to Cape Town or Joburg is very diverse, for example. But well, what's happening also in, in Africa now is that a lot of things are built by the Chinese. So there's actually 10 years from now, there's going to come this kind of like regional Chinese Ethiopian food, Chinese so-and-so food, right? Because they've been there building the railroads and building infrastructure for 20 years now. So it's, you start to see impact of that. You go to a place like Lagos, where you have a great fine dining culture, but it's also a great street food culture. And of course, Morocco has, and Northern Africa has incredible food, you know, spice markets like, you know, Fine de Marrakesh, where you have things like El Rasanut, which is a, almost like a Moroccan version of a curry. Senegalese food, amazing. I would say South Africa is probably the most diverse food as we would think about it. You go to a place like Durban, you have Indian culture with black South African culture, with also Chinese culture mixed in there. So it's very interesting. Cape Town, you have a rich Malay culture. So it, it, it's super diverse. It's not necessarily what you might think it is. It's very, very, very diverse. Right. Clearly, you've been to so many of these places and you've eaten in so many places. And how cooked. Do you, in, um, how, and cooked. How do you go about that? You know, as, as something, you know, I think so many of us, tr food is a, a primary driver for our yeah. travels, clearly. How do you personally go about that when you're going to, let's say you're going to Tokyo or Kyoto mm -hmm. or, or, or something, or you're going to Durban mm -hmm. or, or wherever it is. What are you looking for? Like, are you trying to meet people and have them take you around? What's your, what's your way of discovering those gems? I do it very similar. I try to work on a project. So I know I, I'm cooking there. Mm -hmm. Then you have a, a, a couple of people that helps you kind of guide you to local chefs, but also local aunties that are not traditional chefs, but they're great cooks. And that fixer person is very, very key because he or she really knows what, what is what. Yep. And then try to do a couple of days on non-food activities, which leads back to food anyway, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> but just as you get a little, okay, this is the culture of the place. If I go with my wife, maybe she goes to a yoga center and I try to follow around something more spiritual, something like that. Mm -hmm. I love coming into the city and cooking a little bit because then you, you're getting the back of the house, you're eating staff meal with people and you're very often people are so polite, but you kind of want to get beyond mm -hmm. that in mm -hmm. a way mm -hmm. and see what's actually going on. Because yep. one of those cooks, just like cooks in America, right? They're the one who's going to tell you which market to go to, right? So you just want to get behind the scenes a little bit. That is a great little yeah. like, inside yeah. inside way you have uh, that access is, mm -hmm. is incredible. And, you know, so much of, of great travel experience is that kind of special access that you get because of whatever reason yeah, yeah. And, and the the experiences that kind of lead from there. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to hear about Chef Marcus's favorite culinary travel destinations.
You've met, you've mentioned a number of, of different destinations, including Japan. What are some of your favorite places? I mean, you've already probably covered some of them, but what are your, some of your favorite places that really stand out from a culinary perspective that you've just loved traveling to? I think Mexico is, a, is an incredible, we talked a little bit about it before, and you know, you go to the West Coast of Mexico, and one of my favorite ways to travel is very often I have friends in San Diego, we fly into San Diego, they bring up a chef from Mexico, and we just drive down Ensenada, we just drive down to TJ, some street food, and then there's always a cool Mexican winery where very often in Mexico on, on the coast, the restaurants are in the winery, and really great restaurants in the winery, and then driving down the coast and just checking out great solo aquachiles. And, you know, I've done it with chefs. I've done it with food writers. And that coastal will always remind me of being in Sweden, but it's obviously flavor-wise, it's so different. But it's just something around that, that just having that cold water kind of, kind of come up against the, uh, the, the cliffs. And it's just something that I feel familiar with, although flavor-wise it's very, very different. But I, yeah. I feel comfortable in, in a space like that. It's just, I, I, as much as I've traveled through Mexico and I, you know, I'm from LA, I have not been to the Valle de Guadalupe oh yet. God, and so it's, I, it's, it's high on my list. Yeah. I got I got to get down there. I'm going to hook you up with a guy uh, that can pick you up in San Diego and Perfect. do the drive. Because once you go with someone that knows where to take you, it changes everything. Yeah. Like, it really does, you know? Okay, you, you heard it here. He, yeah. Chef Marcus just promised he's yeah. going to hook me up with a guy who's going to take me to the Valle de Guadalupe. <laughs> I look forward to that. You all, you just mentioned Sweden, actually. Yeah. Hey, we, have to, we have to talk a little bit yeah. about Sweden. Probably not the first place people think of when they think of food destinations, but why would why should people think of Sweden as a food oh, destination? Absolutely, absolutely. Sweden, it's a quite large country, you know, versus population, right? It has a lot of nature. So your waters are clear, so you see food and the and the cold and to get great seafood you want cold water and you want clear water, clean water, clear water, right? We have that. Yeah. We also have different types of water. We have on the West Coast where I'm from, we have salty water. You have great rivers and lakes, and then you have what, something that is kind of blended between uh, salt water and sweet water on the Stockholm side. So variety of seafood. So we can get our char from our, our char from the north, get a salmon on the on, on the on the coast, great lobster. So it's a great place on the coast to just eat simple seafood. Mm -hmm. As you go to a city like Stockholm, you know you have the very high end like Pion Francais, although it's very very high end, but it's actually. I look at the high-end product that's also a schools, right? Psalms comes out of that. Service comes out of that. Cooks comes out of that. That then go and open five years later their own smaller spot that will have a massive impact on raising the bar of how that corner restaurant should look like, right? And we had to always travel to France to do that. Now we can do that in Stockholm. So those gifts that Pierre Francais and his team, and not only him, there's a bunch of chefs that is, you know, Chef Nicolas and so on, that are providing those types of things. But then also going on the coast, like Stockholm is one of those stunning cities in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's on the water, coming into Stockholm, going out on, on one in the archipelagos and just eating, whether it's herring and just taking the culture in or walking. And it just slows you down in a way. It's going to be colder than, you know, it's like a 55, 60 degrees, maybe in August, September. So it's not warm, maybe 75, 85 in July. And then, then it's kind of like 45, 35, right? But, but just bring a sweater and you're going to enjoy it. You reminded me what I, I had an Arctic char at a restaurant that's right on the water. I think it's either on that little island where the museum is. Yeah. or So you, you would know this yeah. restaurant. I forget the name. Oxen. Very, yes, Oaxen. Exactly. Yes. It's such a great meal. I love that yeah. place. I was there by myself and yeah. just had such a wonderful meal. They Oaxen. just sold it. It's been there forever. And the same family ran it for 20 years. They did an incredible job. And so now it's closed. Do they no, close no, it down? No, no, it's going to be sold. Someone else? It just okay. sold it, yeah. Okay, well, got to remember yeah. that one. Okay, let's go back to the U.S. 
for a bit, your adopted homeland now. You did a show called No Passport Required, where you kind of went around all over the U.S. searching for the cultural foods, the the immigrant cultures, how they've influenced foods. Tell us a little bit about some of the fav- your favorite places you discovered while while making that show. Well, it was one of the biggest privileges of my life, first of all, being an immigrant, to be able to tell, share those stories. My story is an immigrant story, but so are so is America's story, right? Doesn't matter if it was your grandparents or great grandparents or or your parents or. It's very similar. It, uh, it, uh, My grandfather from Sweden. From Sweden, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, we also wanted to tell maybe a surprise immigrant story. Right? So we go to New Orleans. There we pick Vietnamese food, for example, which if you're not from NOLA, or, you know, you might not know that that's a big culture there. But it, as we unpack that, because it's a coastal time and it's a sh- t- town and it's a shrimping town, and climate-wise, it made sense for the Vietnamese to come to Houston and New Orleans, right? Hmm. So now it made sense. So we, in every place we went to, if we went to uh, Seattle, we, we talked about the Filipino community. Again, not close, but closer in the West, in West Coast to Seattle than a lot of other U.S. cities to become an entry town. It was great to go to Boston and, and share this overlap between Capo Verde and Brazilian and Portuguese culture. Where is it similar in its language? Where is it different? Mm-hmm. I learned so much. Uh, one of my favorite was to go to Detroit and talk about Middle Eastern culture and 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 in Dearborn, Dearborn and so on. It, it was very very Lebanese culture and in Dearborn is very special. Well, you just gave me another reason to go eat in New Orleans. I didn't yeah. know about the Vietnamese. Oh, no. I was already, I was actually just talking to John Cox about. Yeah. It. I, I think he was just in New Orleans and and you know was blown away by yeah. the food as so many people are. But yeah, I mean you only as you come in as a tourist, you're only scratching yes. the surface, right? You got to go so, east. This yeah. is not. Yeah. This is not on French Street. Quarter. It's right. not a French Quarter. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. That's great. And, you know, the city needs that. But then you just go east, right? It's just like when you pull up in New York, right? If you go to Fort Lee, you have great Korean food, right? Mm-hmm. The majority of tourists have no clue. But it's eight minutes on a boat and you're from, you know, from Hudson Yards to Fort Lee, right? You're there. 20 minutes drive, you're there, you know? There's all this. You can go deep in Queens, you know? Maybe when you go out for U.S. Open, don't go in a car. Go to the subway and jump yep. off. Yep. Go to Jackson Heights. You know, yep. there's all these gems. It's not just I live go in Manhattan and then go to US Open. No, 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 no. It's all that stuff in between. All right, I got to ask you about my hometown. Then, yeah. I, you know, it's actually LA is is known a little bit for Ethiop good Ethiopian yes. food, right? So where's your where's your spot in LA? First of all, LA has amazing mom and pop restaurants across the the gigantic, as big as LA is. You know, both of you and I know Jonathan. Gold and and what he did for really explaining for a, for a lot of people unpacking curating the city of El, the city of gold you know what I mean yeah. like it's really amazing we miss we miss Jonathan yeah. Gold in L A for sure absolutely rest in peace and you know I think that Little Ethiopia is great I think that you you know you go into if I see you could drive down that road and 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 take your time because you you can go hop in between the restaurants you can go and get some souvenirs and then you like just two blocks away from Korea, you know, you're quite close to Koreatown, you're close to a lot of different things. And and it's that's the magic with LA, right? Like there's all these neighborhood that changes and changes and changes. And it's just built on mom and pop. As important big restaurants are, but LA is really a town that's built on mom and pops and it's delicious. Farmers markets, mom and pops, diversity. It's hard to beat LA in terms of that. That's great to hear. And and Uber has made it easier to kind of go around. If you are, I mean, I think LA was always a challenge for outsiders because it is so hard to navigate. It's so big and like driving around gets, is complicated, even for people from there. 
But, you know, I think Uber has made it easier to just kind of, you don't no, have to worry sure. about it. renting a car. You can just get it, get everywhere you Absolutely. need. You can have a few drinks with dinner and yeah. not worry about it. I think it's, it's really made it easier to explore a lot of these areas. But yeah, some of them are out in Bell Gardens or, or wherever, but, but, wherever you go. So some of them are quite, quite far. But, but it's part of discovery. I, I don't think center of town means the same as it used to. You know, look at yeah. all cities that they're, it's healthy to, I mean, that was one of the goals with opening Red Rooster in Harlem, right? Stretch the city. Why yep. should everything be on five blocks in Midtown or downtown? Right. Like, well, that's <laughs> just not healthy for the city and discover, you know? So, uh, I mean, one of my favorite dinners in LA was actually eating with Anthony Bourdain in, in uh, San Gabriel Valley and just us discovering, going to a place where he have heard of and just out discovering something, eating Szechuan food and, and just, it was one of my favorite things, go to LA and eat with Anthony and he, wherever he wanted to go and just be quiet and listen to his stories and, and just listen, you know, take it all in. Another great one that we miss, tell, what did you eat with Anthony Bourdain in the San Gabriel River? Where, where did you, it was Szechuan food? Ludo and I, Chef Ludo and I, we had this amazing job on the show on the taste when we did the taste. And one of the reasons why we enjoyed it so much was once we were done shooting, every night we went out to Anthony and the guest chef that we, <laughs> he invited in, right? Yeah. And it was Nigella, Luda, myself. And my, Luda's my role was very simple. Be quiet and just listen. <laughs> and then Nigella is a writer and great chef, but like Anthony and, and Nigella really linked on writer, authors. And you learn, I learned so much about sort of storytellers that they admired. And we always had a guest chef with us and it was Anthony always picked the restaurant and it was grimy and it was delicious and it yep. was fun. It's like one of my favorite jobs all the time. That is, it's a pretty good yeah. job. This is a pretty good job here too, yeah. being, being at the, oh, in the Bahamas for a culinary festival. Welcome to Bahamas Culinary and Arts Festival. Thank, Thank you. you. So what do you, tell us a little bit about what you have lined up here. I actually, I think I'm, I think I'm joining a, a catamaran cruise that you're leading yeah, in a couple of days I mean, here. First of all, Bahamar has been really wonderful as partners on this. When we do a restaurant, we always want to, Second layer to that is have a great festival there because you can go do a deeper dive on the culture. You can get to know not just star chefs that come from abroad, but also local chefs that are coming up and the culture and the art, artistry. And that's really what this food and arts festival is really about. It's about the culture of Bahamas and the amazing keys and islands that we have here. Our restaurant, we have this beautiful water property and I'm always amazed on the incredible seafood that we have here conch, of course, but snappers, strawberry snappers, you name it. And I was like, we want to share this. So, you know, I called, we called a couple of our friends. Of course, Danielle has a restaurant here, so he's coming. Dario's coming, has amazing uh, steakhouse here. But also, you know, Amanda Freitag from CHOP was kind enough to come down. But you will also find a local celebrity chef like Simeon Hall that is amazing. So it's a, it is its back and forth, and you will see more other than just the chef that you can meet in New York, you will also see many other things. So I, I actually interviewed Simeon Hall and, and he paid you a, a, an extremely high compliment coming from a Bahamian. I think he said uh, he usually does not eat conch salad yeah. anywhere, but he said at your restaurant, it's perfect. So yeah, he, he, that was a very, yes. very high and compliment. And we know when he's coming too, because he's a historian. He's not just a chef. It's really yeah. a food historian. I, I've He's been a great friend, but also somebody that I had to call up and ask, hey, show us the right way here. Yep. And, you know, we have restaurants in Montreal and, and, and in Bahamas and Miami. And when I, two, three years before we opened the restaurant, I constantly thought, okay, who are influencers? Who are the chefs? Who are the people that really made the city? And who can we cook for and talk to? So when we do open, we've not only paid enough 
which, but also learn like yeah. what is what what does local restaurant look like? What are the ingredients? And Simeon has been part of that journey. Well, you mentioned you know having Szechuan food with Anthony Bourdain and how memorable that was. What's another meal you've had in the last year or something that just stands out to you? You know, whether it was the food, the people, the the what that just stands out to you is just a, a special special moment. It's very important for me to pay respect to the people who came for us. One of my dear mentors was the late Leah Chase. She passed away in 90 plus, but she was cooking into her 93rd birthday. She was cooking in mm -hmm. the kitchen. And after her passing, I was like, you know what? I want to know some people that are just are, have, have been amazing contributors to this, to the food scene, to, you know, pay the way for us. And I really want to make sure that I get a chance to have one more meal and cook them one more time. So I cooked last week with Jacques Papin. Went up to Connecticut to cook with Jacques, and it was amazing. It That's was great. absolutely amazing. We cooked roasted chicken together. I assisted him. He cooked it. I assisted him, and we had so much fun. And it was one of those moments that you know you just pinch yourself like, drag this out. Yes, yeah. <laughs> this is a good moment. And he yeah. just shared stories. You know, Michel Nishan drove down from where he lives in Connecticut, and we just sat and we ate, listened to Jacques, watched him cook, and we helped out a little bit. But it was just one of those moments. I knew that that was a magical moment. With all the travel that you've done, and, and now you have two very young children, including an, a brand new baby, congratulations. Thank you. It seems like this will be a big part of their lives too, is the travel and experiencing different cultures and, and getting out. How, what are your plans as your kids grow? Like, where, where do you want to take them and what do you want to show them? Well, I love traveling and uh, I want the kids. Maya and I, Maya traveled also a lot, so we, we, we want to take them with us, you know. I grew up traveling a lot. My father was a geologist and he worked all over the world. And we didn't go on all the trips, but some of the trips we came with. And I remember that. And again, yep. we kind of were tourists. He was working, but it's a different thing when you're there from a, for a work trip. You get, you know, you get to meet his colleagues, kids, and it's just a very different thing, right? And we were exposed to a lot of different cultures. I have a mixed background from my cousins, some of the Koreans, some of the Canadians. You know, so we were always around different different languages and, and, and just had fun being in different environments. So, of course, with Zion growing up and, and Grace growing up in New York City, you have tons of culture just like in L.A. But it is different when you get on a train or a plane or you drive somewhere. It's like, hmm, this is yeah. different now. We just want him to be exposed. Yeah, you mentioned Japan and the, and the difference there. And that was, I, you know, I didn't go there till much later in life. And it was one of those moments where you know, yeah. this is completely different than anything else I've ever, yeah. ever seen. And it, that, that leaves an impact. And it was one of those things where I thought it would be a one-time trip. Yeah. And, you know, because of COVID, it has been a one-time trip so far, but um, no, you I get definitely, back there. definitely will you get, get the back bug, there. I can tell. Definitely get back there. Well, Chef Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today. Really have uh, enjoyed talking to you and hearing your, hearing your stories and having you on the show. Thank you, Bob. And now... For the wall and wrap up. Man, what an inspiring guy Marcus is. I'll tell you, I seriously, that, that guy's got, he's so just like, he's got such a presence. Like, if he weren't a famous chef, he'd be an actor, or a politician, or, or something. He, he would be successful no matter what he did, I'm sure of it. And just a fascinating guy. One thing he brought up, I have to mention Jonathan Gold. We talked about it briefly. And Jonathan, for, the, for those of you who don't remember Jonathan Gold, he was a famous food critic in Los Angeles. He was with the Los Angeles Times, LA Weekly. He worked for Gourmet Magazine for a while. First food critic, actually, to win a Pulitzer Prize. And he really changed. And I mean, I, I think it's great hearing it from Marcus, but he really changed the way people look at writing about food. He just, he opened up 
new worlds that weren't being covered previously. And I remember I, many, many years ago, I was a, a freelance copy editor at, at Los Angeles Magazine. And one of my jobs was proofreading the, the restaurant listings and the restaurant reviews. And, and it was a fairly menial task, but I loved it. And looking back, I realized I loved it because I was reading Jonathan Gold, who was writing about these places in, you know, far corners of Los Angeles, greater area, like, you know, strip malls in San Gabriel Valley and every kind of food imaginable. It was like going on a trip around the world and and realizing that it was all here in the city of Los Angeles. And and truthfully, you know, I'd never heard of any of these places and, and most people hadn't. And he really changed that. And, and he made food writing better for it. And he also opened all of our minds to, to all these incredible experiences that we can have in our home cities, wherever that may be. So if you want to learn more about Jonathan, check out the great documentary called City of Gold. It came out in 2015. That is a hot tip from our producer, AJ. So AJ, thank you for the tip. Jonathan, thank you for everything that you did for, for Los Angeles and for food, food writing in general. And Marcus, most of all, thank you for joining us today on Travel That Matters. I'd like to thank Marcus Samuelson for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information on his restaurants, Rosewood Baja Mar, or anything else that we talked about today, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. Travel That Matters is produced for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley. Music by Joey Salvia. I'm Bruce Wallen, and we will see you down the road. Music.